Welcome, 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 everybody, to another roundup with your lovely Ricky. It is episode 30, and you already know the format by now, so I'm not going to bore you with the details around that. We're going to jump right into our project updates. So we are going to first talk about our pre-sale that opens every Thursday. So it's going to open up tomorrow again. So if you have a wallet that is registered for pre-sale, you get to mint your lovely Leons for a wonderful discounted price of 0.05 ETH for a limited amount of time, which is just the, the day tomorrow. Whenever we go live, we're going to see the announcement in Discord. So you'll have that. Uh, so make use of that because... You know we have an offer going on. We got you have one Leon for every ten Leons that you mint, so can't get any better than that. We already mentioned that we already did one airdrop last week, uh, last Monday. If you minted ten, you got one. A lot of lot of Leon family members took advantage of that. They got their airdrop. The second airdrop is going to happen once we mint out the phase two. So let's get the ball rolling on that. We're getting pretty close. It's a little over 300 that are left, I believe. I didn't do the math, but super excited where things are with the pre-sale. It's time to get into the meat of the content today, the business updates. So here's the thing, guys. I'm going to nerd out today about details around our business processes because the more transparency we bring into the details of how we're going about the business registration, the company creation process, and all the things that go into that. It's not just this, the process is not as simple as me or Alex Antonio walking into a government agency's office and signing a piece of paper and then saying, oh, TCFX is registered, go hire. Uh, now you can go get clients on boarded. It's not that simple. There's a lot that goes into that. So this roundup has to be one of the most important roundups that I've done because it is very educational about how we go about this process. And my motivation behind sharing this with you guys today is when you know what work goes into registering a company that's going to be working in the fintech space with Web3, you get to see kind of work that is required. So you, when you go into other projects that you believe in, you talk to the founders, you can make educated comments and you can make educated conversation around what they're doing with their business processes and their company creation. Because I already mentioned it before, if, if an NFT project is not registering a company and they don't have a revenue system, you are the revenue. So it's just as simple as that. So where do we start? So Alex and Tony have been spending a lot of time over the last two weeks, not just working in the direction of creating the company, but also continuing to optimize the best solution in terms of uh, efficiency, in terms of speed, in terms of uh, financial efficiency. So not just process efficiency, but also efficiency with our funds. And we continue to optimize the best way possible. And why do we do that? One because that is our business ethic. That is how the Leon family functions. We adapt, we learn, we grow, but we also want to give back the most to the community. So how do we do that? One way to do that is being very efficient with our treasury. So we give the most back to the community. The faster we get to the market, the faster we can onboard our clients, the better it's going to be for all of us. So that's, that's kind of the mindset behind it. 
we're talking about the quality of um so we're also working on a lot of lot of things around just the specifics of company creation so we're going to dive into that here in a second so what we're doing in terms of efficiency of the company creation process instead of relying completely on leaks which is our legal partner the our, our major major legal partner um i've already shared like the details around them how competent they are how detail oriented like how amazing they are uh, but we're also being very efficient with the things that we can do in-house. We're going to be doing in-house and we're going to leverage our network with our notary, our fiduciary and the bank in order to maximize our capital efficiency over there as well, because legal things can get expensive. And there's a lot of, a lot of founders that are just lazy. They just, there's certain things that if you spend some time, uh, researching yourself and preparing yourself, you can, you can save a lot of cost. So that's the work that Alex and Tony are doing so that we have leaks as our partner for the major, major as a subject matter expert for regulatory details and conversations with the Swiss government around those things. Um, in that process, uh, where we stand right now is we're going to be onboarding another legal partner, um, and they're called JB, J A Y B E E. Um, and they're going to be helping us with the sh uh, with the shareholder agreement. So the shareholder agreement is also another very important part of the company creation process. We're working with them since they're also a subject matter expert. If you've looked at the announcement by Alex, uh, I think yesterday, that he shared a screen grab of all the companies that they've worked with and they have a huge portfolio of blockchain companies. Um, we're doing this to again be very efficient with our capital but at the same time not compromising on subject matter expertise so that's the level of details we're diving into here guys uh so alongside all of that um alex antonio are also working on a pitch deck uh for tcfx um so that whenever they go operational they have something to uh, they're ready to have educated conversations with, with the market, with the, with the clients, with the, with the legal teams, with the government, everybody. So you need a professional pitch deck when you're creating a business. It's just a, just, just how businesses are created. doesn't matter if you're web three, web two, you need to have a pitch deck. Like what's your, what are you bringing to the market? That's different. Why are you the people you, why should I trust you? with my business. So those kind of conversations. Another thing talking about um, the business side of things, as I already mentioned in last week, Alex Antonio are going to meet with Michelle Konizinski again. I don't have to talk about the guy. He's the legend. Um, he continues to consult with us as a subject matter expert and mentor Alex Antonio in the direction of crowdfunding. Um, they are going to meet with him in person, hopefully sometime next week, I believe. Um, they're going to be going over to France to meet with him. Um, and the goal to meet with him is not just to have an in-person conversation, but also to try to extend his uh, his ex his involvement with TCFX and Medellin Society so he can continue to provide his expertise. Again, a guy like that is practically impossible to find 
having him on our side not only opens up a ton of network for us as we go operational soon, but also provides us with direction that we absolutely need from the expertise that he brings in this crowdfunding industry. So he's a pioneer in this industry and we're trying to take it one step forward with Web3 uh, and tokenization. So very excited about that. We have, again, if you don't know, our artist, our main artist uh, from our uh, digital team and our creation team, Jake has officially onboarded again for a long-term collaboration. What does that mean? I can't tell you much right now, but what I can tell you is if you liked our collection, um, Jake was telling us about how his skill set has even gotten even better. So how does someone who's already perfect get better? Well, come to Medellin Society. We know how to keep pushing ourselves. We don't compete with other people. We compete with ourselves. So Jake has mentioned that he's extremely excited to come on board again. Um, and he signed a long-term contract. He's very excited to do our marketing visuals. As you know, we're transitioning right now from uh, making Metal Leon Society as our main uh, poster child to TCFX becoming our poster child because our branding is going to be switching over slowly to TCFX. Doesn't mean Metal Leon Society is not going to have a front seat. It's just something that is necessary as the project evolves and matures the face of the company has to be TCFX because that's what people uh, would like to trust. And when you look at Web2, they would rather look at a fintech company than a NFT project when they think about investing or raising funds. So that's just a strategic move. Uh, and Jake is very excited to work on our visuals. So if you haven't looked at our visuals lately, they're a class apart. I'm not saying, and again, this the same work from the same artist but he's just pushing himself so much. He's just killing it with his artwork. So very excited to bring him back on the team. He's always been on the team. It's just nice to have him sign another long-term contract with us uh, because he's just he just loves working on Metal Leon Society stuff. And he's on this journey. Like he keeps up with everything. He keeps asking like good questions around the company creation. It's like he's very involved in the project and the community. So uh, very excited to have him. Um, we are again currently continuing to work on the brand identity side of things, uh, brainstorming, researching. Uh, TCFX is going to be a very important crux of everything we do. So getting this brand identity right. And when we say right, it has to be perfect. So we're continuing to find that brand for us. Color scheme kind of so far works amazingly well. It's very, uh, it's very trustworthy. It's a very... Uh, very sophisticated. Um, so we're going to continue doing that. We're going to continue refining and growing and learning about our brand identity. Um, so yeah, that's a continuing process. Um, another thing to talk about was um, our all the work that we've put into our company creation so far and the licenses. So another thing with the license uh, we've talked about licensing required in Switzerland, and that's one of the most important things because without the right license, uh, it's kind of difficult to operate in Switzerland. And that is because Switzerland has one of the best regulatory frameworks in the world. Only second to Switzerland is, uh, is Singapore, I believe. And tokenization 
all the companies that work in the tokenization sphere or in the blockchain industry in general are registered in Switzerland. So uh, what we're doing there with the licensing is because of all these cost uh, costs cutting, not cost cutting, but also like efficiency on capital that we've been working on, um, it's helped us save up enough to not have to hire a third party to get access to that license. And what is this license? The license is called self-regulated organization license. It is provided the, by the Swiss financial authority. And the reason I'm sharing this information with you guys is because this is what a, and you've seen me talk about in the market update section about how important regulatory clarity is. So it's not complicated. The frameworks already exists. Other countries can copy this framework. They don't even have to put in any work. Um, so the Swiss financial authority provides the self-regulated organization license. It's usually very expensive and I, I don't quote me on this. It's probably in the range of 20 to $30,000. Um, and it's not just, not everybody can apply for it. There's a process you need to register it. You need to do the legal work upfront, which we've been doing in preparation of getting this license, because that's been the goal initially because of the lack of funds. We were going to work with a third party company that was going to take a larger cut in our profits. And I don't know how that arrangement would have worked, but as I learned from Alex Antonio, um, it wouldn't have been financially good for us long term to have a third party just for the license. It is better to have that license in house. So huge, huge, huge news. We, we will be able to get the license by ourselves with how we've managed our treasury. Um, so we just keep pushing the bar higher guys. And I keep sharing these details with you because this is the kind of work that our founders are doing right now. So if you have not been bullish again, I don't know anybody that's not been bullish at any point with metal Leon society, but this should make you even more bullish because I don't know. Uh, I don't know many, you could probably name NFT projects or web three projects on your fingertips that would have access to this license. So how this license works is once TCFX as a company is registered, which is a process that could take about two weeks at this point. Um, another detail there is we've been talking about setting up our bank account for the company. So once you transfer the capital into your bank account, you then it's about two weeks time when the chamber of commerce, like, verifies everything and then they officially register you. So once we're registered in about two to three weeks, we will, the, the time then starts ticking. We then from the point of registration, it takes about three months to procure that license. So now the good question to ask would be Reiki. So if, if the, if TCFX is going to be functional and the company creation is done, but then the license takes three months, are we just going to sit around and wait and we can't start onboarding clients? Well, the, the answer to that is no. So what you can do meanwhile, so there's a, there's a, there's a clause in that license. What you can do is while you're waiting for that bigger license to be that, to be that, um, uh, to have just, just have that license. What you can do is, you have an intermediary license. It is called the DFX license. This license will help us get started, but there's limitations to this license in terms of our margins and they're going to be pretty low. But 
what it's going to help us do, it's going to help us build our brand. It's going to help us build our business operations and the track record for the company. And now you're going to ask me like, why is that important? And what is that? So even if we're not going to have that big of margins, like there's going to be a cap on everything, like how big the company can be, how much funds we can raise, stuff like that. This license lets us start our business. And no, but nobody, uh, nobody likes a business that doesn't have a track record. So sometimes start creating a track record for a business. What does a track record mean? History of cash flow, history of profits, history of clients, history of onboarding, any sort of inventory that you have. So these are like very businessy terms. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it's very important to understand that how well everything has been planned with MetaLeon Society. So having the DFX license will let us start our business, start onboarding clients until for the three months time until we can get our license. And then once we have the license, we can shoot for the stars. So it's actually not a bad thing for us because starting off with just fresh, the clients that we're going to onboard are not going to be the multi-million billion dollar clients. It's going to be early clients. Again, we are going to make sure that these are people that have functional businesses that have been generating revenue and they're trying to raise some funds. So it's not just going to be someone showing up with a piece of paper saying, Hey, I have an idea. I want to raise some funds. That's not how things work. If we're putting in the kind of work that we're putting in into the business creation and into the legal process of things and on the regulatory side of things, be assured that we're absolutely doing our very best to make sure we have the right clients to start off with and we get the best exposure in terms of marketing and everything. So the next step is going to be getting the marketing in place once we have the right clients. So everything is tying in just perfectly. Like I can't tell you how excited I am. So those were all the details when it comes to what's happening on the company creation side of things. If you have to go back and listen to this all over again on Spotify, make sure to do so because it's a very complicated process. And I've tried to break it down for you guys to explain the different pieces that are currently under works. Like it's not one straight line. It's like a branch of trees. Like it's just everything. There's multiple leaves on every branches. So these guys are doing an incredible job making sure we're moving ahead on all fronts without compromising on quality and just being so efficient with everything. I absolutely love that. So those are all the project-related updates for today. We're going to jump right into our market updates. Um, and again, with our market updates, I've been highlighting a few major topics and sharing some details about those. So I want to share a little bit little bit about I want to start off with some global market details not even related to crypto or anything um, I'm noticing what's happening in the past couple of weeks and it's something that has just factually been around for a few months at this point so this narrative and I the reason I share narratives that are being pushed a lot I don't care what the narrative is I just try to listen for narratives because they're there I don't know what the details behind it is and who's pushing it and why but it's important to follow narratives if you're not catching up to them. A huge narrative that is being pushed in the West, I guess, um, again, US, Canada, um, a narrative that's being pushed right now with all social media and all of mainstream media is 
people are noticing that there's this push for the dollars falling. All the other countries are running away from the dollar. So like there's a narrative. If you haven't seen a post in the last two weeks about some country competing against the dollar by not using dollars for their oil or doing trade in their own country, like China doing that, Russia doing that, uh, the BRICS countries, um, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and um, I don't know what S stands for, Singapore, I believe. Um, they are coming together to form a currency of their own to not compete with the dollar, but just basically create their own market because the dollar has been tanking. So I'm not saying that's not true. It is true. These countries are working on something like this, but this is information that has literally been out there for months. So I am interested in understanding as to why this whole narrative of the US dollar declining is being pushed so hard. And here's, here's why I'm sharing this with you. There's a difference between narratives and there's a, there's a huge difference between a narrative and the reality. So reality is the dollar isn't going away anytime soon. It was a system that was put in place. Global markets just don't collapse like that overnight. So you're not just going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, nobody's using the dollar and dollar goes to zero against like the yuan or something. So just wanted to share that with you. Be careful of narratives. I don't know why this is being pushed. I have no position either way. I don't care where the dollar stands. I'm a global mindset person. I try to follow what where the world is heading and try to position myself accordingly. But it's important to know that if you're worried about the dollar going away, even if it were, it's at least the collapse is at least like 50 years away because how the global markets are structured, you just cannot take away the dominance of one currency in under like a year or two years. It takes consistent work and these countries to coordinate at the level that they're trying to coordinate, if it would have... It, if it would have happened, it would have happened already. It's just something where reality is always like far behind the narrative. So they start the narrative, then they get momentum, and then they take action. It's always a cycle. So don't panic. I'm just trying to help you out with um, just my two cents. It's just something to keep your eye on, but I wouldn't stress too much about it. It's just something to know. So... Um, Again, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be, but this is interesting development. For the first time, people are, countries are coming together to, um, again, not fight against domination of one currency, but trying to do what's best for their citizens. Because as inflation goes up, as the money printer goes on again in the U.S., countries that deal in the, in the U.S. dollar are going to lose out on value. They get the inflated dollars and their currency gets denominated in the dollar. So it's just bad. It's bad economics for their countries. So, so a lot of countries are trying to move away from that. So just wanted to clear the air on that narrative that's being out there. Nobody's talking about it like I am. So wanted to make sure you guys listen to me. You guys can get your get some perspective around how these things work. Uh, so there's that. Um, so thinking about this whole currency thing got me thinking about another thing, which is related to cryptocurrencies and the Web3 industry. Um, there have been a, uh, if you haven't noticed, if you were living under a rock, a lot of banks have collapsed. 
uh, a lot of major U.S. banks like Silvergate, which was a major crypto bank, like SVB, uh, and other like I believe Credit Suisse, like all these big banks, like they, they literally collapsed. So what that collapse did was USDC, which is one of the most stable stable coins, and it's always been pegged to a dollar ever since its inception. It's literally only it's I don't think it's ever de-pegged in its existence of what three to four years or more. I think more. I can't remember when Circle Company was created. I think it was 2012 or something, but they didn't create USDC until later. So uh, it had, USDC has been around for a while. It's a major player in the stablecoin industry, but it de-pegged really hard. Like it de-pegged to like 86 cents or something when Silvergate Bank, not Silvergate, um, the Silicon Valley Bank went down because they had $30 billion, I believe, of their reserves. And it got me worried. I'm like, okay, so centralized stable coins are not the solution because if the traditional banking system is failing, then the centralized stable coins are going to fail as well. They're going to depeg every time uh, a bank where they have their reserves because centralized stable coins have to have their reserves one for one. So it could either be in U.S. bonds or it could be actual dollars being backed up in the bank account. So interesting thing here is what I've been thinking about is the more this, this collapse continues to take momentum, because this is not the end of the collapse, the interest rates are continuing to stay high. Jerome Powell, who's the chair of the Fed, he's already indicated that he honestly doesn't care about these bank collapses. His major focus is to bring inflation down. Because if inflation doesn't come down, then we're going to enter a long period of stagflation. Stagflation is where the country's economy doesn't grow and inflation continues to stay high. So you get a double whammy, like you get penalized twice. So that's not good for anybody. So the banks are going to continue to collapse. So if centralized stable coins are going to have their money in these banks, they're going to keep depegging. So that's really not a solution. So what is a solution? Um, here's, here's a unpopular opinion. Everybody hates Do Kwan. He's probably in jail right now. Um, he got caught trying to, with a fake ID. I don't know if that news is true. Nobody knows what's going on. People made him a villain with everything. And I have no, I have no interest either way. I have no perspective. I'm just trying to make an educated, um, opinion about what things should look like to make a better stable coin. So he had a good experiment. Luna was a good experiment. And when I say good experiment, I'm being very cautious about my terms. He tried to create a algorithmic stablecoin backed by Bitcoin, which was a good, very good idea. In theory, it was a very good idea. But the problem was he didn't have enough funds. And it was only like $40, 50000000000 billion that were needed um, that it was worth or something. Uh, but you only needed like a couple billion dollars to actually take down the whole thing. So true traditional finance people literally took it down within like days because they knew like how much they had to short it to literally destroy Luna. And it makes me mad that someone who is trying to do a financial experiment and crypto is supposed to be one big economics experiment. All he was doing was trying to create a decentralized stable coin so that we don't have to worry about centralized stable coins that can depeg every time a bank collapses. So we can't rely on traditional finance 
for our future of finance. Like if you're trying to move up, create a better monetary system, you just can't rely on the existing monetary system. So the answer to the future problems that we run into with these centralized stable coins is having some sort of a decentralized algorithm and stable coins. So this guy tried to do an experiment, it failed. A bunch of other government stable coins people tried, they failed. Doesn't mean that this techno the the solution doesn't work. It's just we haven't found the right ingredients yet to make that work. But if we want to have a sustainable ecosystem in the crypto space in the future, with all the government crackdowns I've been sharing with you guys, the solution is a decentralized stablecoin. The more decentralized something is, the less the government can do something about it. And it's just, it's not about hiding. It's not about doing anything bad. It's about controlling your finances. It's about freedom, which a lot of government agencies just obviously forgotten the philosophy behind the U.S. and why it was created and what it stands for. So it's more about having an open monetary system where person A, person B can interact with each other and share value whenever they want in whatever situation they want without a third party, which is a government, just peeping into it. So that's kind of my hot take there. It's very important to know that centralized stable coins are not the solution. Um, it honestly doesn't matter to me if uh, USDC came back to its peg. It only takes depegging once to realize how fragile the whole system is. So if you, a lot of people just brushed over that news like it's nothing, but I didn't forget it. So I've been thinking about it. So hopefully we do get some players in the industry that bring more decentralization into stable coins. So the only reason Bitcoin has been left alone by most regulators, including the SEC, is because Bitcoin is truly decentralized. So true decentralization is the solution to government overreach, because as long as you have a figurehead for any project, you're just going to run into those problems. So that's 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 kind of my take there. Uh, now let's talk about some CBDC news. Um, exciting stuff happening for CBDCs. Uh, the senior manager of the Central Bank Digital Currency Unit at the Bank of England has suggested that the digital pound is not going to include government-enabled program programmability functions. Um, and what does that mean? So a lot of people have, I guess, misunderstood what a CBDC is going to be. And I don't blame them because it's a concept that's still being built. No country has a functional CDBC yet. Uh, so it's still a uh, philosophically, it's still and technically, it's still up in the air what it would look like. So a lot of people have been spreading this narrative, and I'm saying narrative because it's not a fact. Not every country is going to have a CBDC, which is going to have smart contracts. So programmable uh, CBDC is basically a fancier way to say the CBDC is going to token that they're going to give you the government. They're going to issue that token and that token is going to be programmable. So the dystopian thing that the government could do is if they don't like you, you you're doing bad things like you're sharing information about the government, exposing people or I don't know, they don't like you for some reason. They could block your account. They could stop the CDBC tokens that are in your account from leaving your account or they can burn them at their will. Like things you could do with the Ethereum token, right? You can program it to do anything. You can have an expiration date on it. You can control where you can spend it. 
Um, you can control how much you can spend. So a lot of people were really worried. And I guess it's a valid point to be worried about, but it's not every country is not looking at CBDCs like that. So it's interesting that this high up uh, person in the Bank of England is saying that it's very possible that the digital pound is not going to be programmable because they're trying to address the worries of people or misconceptions that the government's going to try to overreach. So that's a very interesting take. Not a lot of people have been thinking about central bank digital currencies of not being programmable. So at that point, it also makes me wonder if it's not going to be programmable, then what value does it bring more than what the traditional banking system already does? Then it's just really a number. And the only thing that's going to happen there is instead of <clears throat> transferring actual value, like instead of transferring just messages, like right now the value doesn't move. When I send you $1, you don't get a dollar from my account into your account. The numbers just change their database. They just say deduct $1 from Reiki's account and put in, let's say, uh, Redo's account. So that's that's how it works right now. But in CDBC, it's going to be actual $1 token is going to move from my account using a ledger into Redo's account. So it will be actual transfer of value instead of just a message. So I guess it it doesn't really do much if it doesn't have programmability. Um, I would rather personally prefer uh, a programmable digital token with good regulations and laws around it so the government cannot overreach. <clears throat> so you can do things like in COVID, for example, in COVID when the airdrop from the government, um, the COVID money that was dropped to people, it was so inefficient. It was sent to people's bank accounts. Sometimes some people got it twice. Some people got it in the mail and got lost. It was just a very clunky system. So a lot of wasted money that could have gone to, um, gone to the right people. And a lot of people just speculated away that money that caused the bull market of 2020. It was 2019. I can't remember. Uh, it was one of those years. So one thing that could be done with programmability is you could force people to you first of all use that money. You could, if you send an airdrop of money to people using the central bank digital currency, it's going to be efficient. It's going to happen overnight, not overnight, even within seconds. People get their money instantly. And during a national emergency, international emergency, a global pandemic, you need the money instantly. And they could, the government could put an expiration on that money. Hey, if you don't use it in the next six months, the money is going to go away, which is a good thing because you want people to spend that money because they they have emergencies. Like they, they need food, they need clothes, like the things, um, they got bills to pay. So they could also program it, that money that people don't gamble away that money in the stock market. They could say things like, hey, you can use this money, the specific airdrop that we gave you for COVID. You could have used that for just food and shelter and the bare necessities like to help you with those things. And again, I don't I don't really like government overreach, but <clears throat> in very emergency-like situations, a programmable CBDC can be a good thing. Um, it's not always a bad thing to have something programmable. So interesting take by uh, Bank of England. I, I would like to see what a non-programmable CBDC could do or bring to the table that traditional banking doesn't. Um, it's just something I have to see. I just don't see the point right now, but we'll, we'll have to see. 
Um, now talking about Switzerland. So Switzerland's national bank is working on outlining its payment vision. So Switzerland's trying to revamp its entire payment system. Uh, the central bank has currently been working with a project called the central bank, uh, the a central bank digital currency token, which will be used for settlements. So this token is going to be, uh, it's currently being issued to wholesalers and uh, it's on the six digital exchange, which is one of the largest exchanges in Switzerland. And it's going to be for a limited amount of time. Uh, they're also working on a private token, which is going to be backed by the central bank reserves. And it's probably going to be used for settling financial transactions. So they're going to use an intermediary. An example of what they're probably trying to use here is XRP. The XRP token is a settlement token. So if bank A is trying to send money to bank B internationally, how it works right now, I'm not going to go too into details, but it's a very clunky system. Between the two banks, there's like six banks that they have to talk to each other before the money can be transferred. That's why international transfers are so expensive and why it takes five to six days because there's like six different intermediaries between two banks. And XRP literally removes all of those, becomes the intermediary, settles the transactions within seconds, and then you literally get your money on the other side in a very efficient manner and saves the bank money too because the bank has to park its money in these international bank accounts in order to fulfill these international settlements. So it's just it's money sitting around, which is losing value because the money that's not making money is losing value in inflation. So it's a good solution for everybody. So it looks like the Swiss government our central bank is looking into something similar, but an in-house solution for settlement using their own token. Um, and <clears throat> funny thing is, um, it sounds a lot like a stable coin too, but they do not use that term for some reason. So it's again, interesting developments. I would like to see how they grow with their uh, CDBC approach there. Uh, they're not just trying to put a token on top of things. They're actually rethinking their payment system. So starting from um, bank accounts to the payment system, settlements, uh, business to customer, customer to business, all those interactions, they're, they're rethinking uh, the next stage of financial evolution. So it's good to see that they're strategically working towards that. Um, now time to talk about a little bit of Web3 funding news. So everybody, again, I like to bring these funding news time and again, just to remind you how much money is flowing into Web3, no matter what you hear in the news. Everybody right now super excited about the prices going up, but overall the macroeconomic conditions haven't changed. Inflation is still going up. There's still a war going on. People are still struggling. Banks are still falling. So things are not good. In these conditions, Web3 companies continue to raise money. And that's what that's the awareness I want to bring again because mainstream media keeps forgetting about this. Um, so Layer Zero Labs, it is a cross-messaging protocol. Um, these developers have, again, this team has raised a fresh round of $120 million um, last week, I believe. And after, and this comes after raising a round of $135 million last year. So I think they've raised a little over um, 200, 
$240 million in under two years. So um, this new fresh round of funding comes from, uh, comes to them um, in order to expand their operations in the Asia Pacific region. So that region is very important for crypto. All of you that know that um, the future of crypto lies in Asia and it's just, it's just crazy how uh, this team just continues to grow and the work that they're doing with cross chain messaging, everybody that is a maximalist of any form, like, Oh, Ethereum's going to be the only chain that exists. Oh, Bitcoin's going to be the only chain that exists. That's not, that's not the future. The future is connected. All the chains are going to talk to each other and all chains that survive would have established a very, niche market for themselves. They'll be solving a very specific two or three problems and they'll be the best at that. So we're going to have multiple chains talking to each other all the time. And that's why we need uh, players like Layer Zero in the market because they're building those protocols for people to easily interact with other blockchains. So the infrastructure updates continue to happen. Money keeps continuing to flow into the infrastructure aspect of crypto and Web3. Ledger, talking about Ledger. Everybody knows Ledger, the hardware uh, company, the company that provides hardware wallets to cold storage, uh, for cold storage solutions, for not for um, retail and also businesses. So Ledger has raised $100 million. I think it's $110 million in a Series C funding um to continue to strengthen their business because people are starting to realize not your key not your tokens and that's what the future is if you don't have custody of your crypto you don't own your crypto and for the first time in the history of mankind you can actually custody your own funds you could stash away your cash under your bed but that's not the most secure way to put your money so for the first time, you can have digital money that you can store without the need of a bank or anything. So among, in the middle of all these centralized exchanges collapsing and all the banks collapsing, it's just the perfect marketing campaign for a hardware wallet. So $100 million for Ledger. And this is a Series C, so they already raised Series one, A and B. So um, companies worth $1.2 billion right now, I think, with this latest round that they raised. Um, pretty pretty cool stuff. Uh, next, I'm going to bring a huge piece of news coming for adoption. Um, S&P Global Group, which is a group behind the S&P 500, and I don't have to tell you how big S&P 500 is. It's literally the largest one in the stock market it's crazy how big they are they just very sneakily had a job listing on their website and the job listing title says director of DeFi. and those of you that feel that crypto is not going anywhere and the regulatory people are going to crush crypto and it's going to get destroyed well tell me one thing why does the largest player in traditional finance have a job listing for director of DeFi. So that's just something that has gone under the radar and not under the radar for me. And I know what's going on with NASDAQ jumping in, trying to custody crypto. 
Fidelity already offering Bitcoin to its customers. BlackRock trying to offer Ethereum offer already offering Bitcoin. All these people are not going to jump into an industry that's going to die. So they know where the future is and they want to be positioned for that future because they want their share of the pie. And that's, that's how it is guys. Like if you don't see it yet, I can't be more obvious. We are early. This is the first time the retail people have beat the traditional finance people because we were the smart ones. We were the ones that were visionaries to actually see the potential in this thing while they were too busy jumping around in their multiple billions and trillions of dollars like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> it's arrogance, to be honest. They knew their systems could never collapse. The, I, I, I love that story with, and I'm nobody to enjoy collapse of anything. It's just, it's humbling to know that you should never be arrogant. No matter where you get in life, arrogance can bring you to your downfall. The CEO of Credit Suisse, I believe in 2015 or 14, uh, I can't remember, 16 maybe. So Charles Hoskinson in his podcast, again, if you don't listen to his podcast, I don't care if you own Cardano. I don't own Cardano, but I listen to his podcast because he's a smart dude. You cannot change my mind. He's a smart dude. And I love listening to smart people because it, it helps me learn. He was sharing his personal story of when he was trying to create a bank account in Switzerland for Cardano. The CEO of Credit Suisse laughed in his face and he said that he Credit Suisse has this reputation. It's this big bank that has been around for 150 years and they're not going to tarnish their their reputation for some some crypto project that is going to be used for terrorist activity and all the crap that mainstream media pushes. So he said, all right, okay, um, I guess I'll just figure out another way. And fast forward to 2023, Credit Suisse collapses. And guess where Cardano is? Still functioning, still producing blocks, still working. So just a story. Just under a decade, they were humbled. And that's what I try to remind people. Don't, don't be arrogant <laughs> uh, because it's not good for anybody. It will be funny in 10, 20 years when crypto and Web3 is going to be the main thing and everybody's doing it and all the people that have been in it are going to be like yelling to people like, look, I'm so smart. I did this. Don't be that person. Keep evolving. Keep learning. Because if you don't learn, if you don't keep growing, you're just going to miss out. What, happen what happened to traditional finance can happen to crypto, can happen to Web3. Doesn't matter how advanced your technology is. What matters is, are you evolving? So uh, S&P 500 has a position open. S&P Global Group for director of DeFi. Traditional finance is learning. They're, they're humbled now. They fall into their faces. They know if they have to survive, they have to join, join in. And the future is decentralized. So it's ironic that they're hiring a director for DeFi and DeFi is supposed to be decentralized. So anybody caught on on that irony? I just laughed. I chuckled a little when I looked at that listing. I'm like, they don't even know what they're talking about because if they're hiring a director for DeFi, they really don't understand DeFi. <laughs> That's okay. They, that means they're here. They want to learn about this, which is nice. So um, last piece of news. I want to I close out this uh, today's uh, weekly roundup with a wholesome piece of news. 
And it made me so happy to look at this. So the Ministry of Tourism of Indonesia is looking into NFTs to preserve its cultural heritage. And it's so cool. Um, so what they're looking into is multiple things. So one of the things they're looking into is how they can enhance their virtual tourism department and the virtual tourism experience for people. Um, so involving digital assets, collectibles, things like that. Um, they're also in talks with blockchain companies that specialize in tokenizing cultural heritage. And you might have a question like, how can you tokenize cultural heritage? Like, guys, there's there's multiple things. So there's tangible cultural heritage pieces, and there's pieces to cultural heritage that are non-tangible. But the beauty about tokenization, you can tokenize about anything. So they're looking into that piece as well. And the reason they're doing that is not only it would help them preserve their culture and their heritage for the long term, because anything on the blockchain is going to be there. Like. There's, I, I shouldn't say that if Earth stops existing tomorrow, I don't know how many of you know that there's a node of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I believe Dogecoin as well, because uh, Elon Musk put it up there with SpaceX. There's Bitcoin and Ethereum nodes running on the International Space Station. So guess your banks are not going to exist. No other ledger is going to exist. Um whichever blockchain has a node running on the International Space Station, there's always going to be a record of those things up there. So it's just timeless. Like they'll be able to preserve their culture and heritage for, for the long term. Preservation is one thing. Another reason for doing that is it will also open up. Indonesia is a country that relies a lot on tourism for its, um, for its revenue and COVID showed that it did hit hard specifically it hit hard countries that rely very much uh, and a lot of their revenue like Thailand um, that's why these countries are pushing for regulations on crypto so hard because they know that if for some reason another global pandemic happens their revenue just going to crash like countries going to struggle um, so Tokenizing their cultural heritage will also open up revenue sources for them like royalty. So they're they're excited about that. And I love that they're doing this because Indonesia is not a big country. It's definitely a hub for digital nomads, but it's no means or ways any big economy. Like its economy is probably smaller than the economy of Texas right now. So um, it's it's good to know that these smaller countries in the Asia Pacific region are looking into the future, uh, trying to conserve their culture, trying to think of, think of new ways to involve other people and get more people into the experience and also grow more revenue sources. So very excited for them. I wish them the best. Hopefully they figure something out and we can learn from that. And hopefully other countries with a lot of deep cultures, like I, um, I mean, India, I personally know how deep, the Indian culture is and the heritage that India has. It's so diverse. It's it's so deep. It's crazy. So it would be nice to have something like that in India too. Um, so excited about that stuff. Very cool. Um, with that, uh, I want to wrap up our roundup here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed all the, all the updates that I had for you. And uh, we are Leons and we're going to make it. Love you all. Take care. Stay safe and stay blessed.